introduction again, just a reminder, uh, the book of Obadiah, the primary context is directed at Edom and Edom's uh, disobedience and rebellion against God. And even more specifically, the intentional uh, attempted destruction of God's people. And uh, so we have been studying here how that uh, as man tries to uh, interfere with God's people, how that God will use uh, many different means, many different avenues uh, to protect his people, to bring his people uh, back unto himself. So we have been looking at how the Lord through Obadiah gave Obadiah this vision this vision of the future destruction of Edom and what was going to happen to them. And in the verses, first four verses, we dealt primarily last week with the expression found in verse 3, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. And we established one of the facts is that when uh, man thinks he is attempting to destroy the things of God, uh, ultimately he's nothing more than deceived. We know that uh, God ultimately will not be deceived. Uh, God ultimately will not be destroyed. And ultimately God's people uh, will not be destroyed. We may suffer trial. We may suffer persecution. We might even suffer death, this side of glory, of course. But we ultimately, if we are in Christ, uh, we cannot fully and completely be destroyed. So we dealt a little bit last week with the character of Edom and how that God was already calling them on their smallness or how they were, uh, they were not um, as protected as they thought. Uh, we dealt with arrogance and how arrogance leads us to believe uh, that we're able to handle anything. We're able to, uh, we think so highly of ourselves that we can take care of our own problems, our own situations. And we ended with the reality that there is ultimately no escape from God. Uh, so a man who attempts to destroy uh, the things of God ultimately will face uh, this great wrath of God. So we know that Edom is guilty of what we would refer to today as short-sightedness. It is having this uh, opinion that all we need to be concerned about is what we can see in front of us. Um, I would say today we, we are a generation that is plagued by short-sightedness. Uh, we see things and we, we, we draw conclusions from that short-sightedness and we think this is all there really is. This is all there is to be concerned about. And yet here we see God's people um, being protected, but Edom yet is going to face uh, this great uh, wrath of God because they have no thought of God uh, in and of themselves. I want to draw your attention now to verses 5 through 9, and notice again with me uh, as we continue the narrative here. Verse 5, it says, If thieves come, came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they have not stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. 
I want to draw our attention to that expression there in verse number 7. Really it's telling of where this narrative of the book of Obadiah is going. There is none understanding in him. There is none understanding in him. One of the great things we take for granted is our ability to understand. Our ability to understand the word of God. Our understanding to be able to understand the things of God. The understanding to be able to interpret and discern what God's will and what God's word says. If, if God was to remove our ability to understand, we would be people with undescribable misery. So if I was not able to understand God, even in what we have to call what this side of glory is limited, we would be unbelievably miserable. To have your understanding taken away is to ultimately take away that which is the most valuable thing to a believer, my understanding of my salvation. That's not something that I can comprehend, humanly speaking. I can't comprehend how salvation works, humanly speaking. I can't comprehend how the cross satisfied the demands of a holy God. I can't humanly comprehend that. I can't comprehend how the blood was required. I can't comprehend how Christ had to die. I, I'm not understanding these things in my human intellect. I'm understanding these things because God has given me understanding. And that understanding is that which Edom is having ripped away from it. Now, we've watched how God, as he pronounced judgment on Edom through the vision of Obadiah, how God started this process by making them small. He called out their arrogance. He called out their self-sufficiency. Remember, we talked about how uh, one of the great strongholds in Edom or the place where they, found, they thought they found shelter was in Petra, the great rock city. They thought, we're safe from everything and anyone here. Nobody can get to us in these rocks. Yet God says there's absolutely no escape from me and in my judgment against Edom. Remember, we've learned that when we talk about Esau, we're talking about Edom and, and genealogy and relationship there. And we, so we know the relationship between Jacob and Esau, and we're seeing these things play out uh, scripturally. And really in verses 5 through 9, really the only way we can describe what God is saying is going to happen to the people of Edom is that there is going to be a great disaster. And this disaster is going to be marked by really three different events. There's a mention of thieves and robbers and grape gatherers. There's the mention of hidden treasures being searched out. There's the mention of Edom being deceived. There's the mention of the wise men of Edom being destroyed. And then we'll finish with the idea that Edom's mighty men are going to be cut off. So there really is these events that are taking place within this removal of understanding. And again, it is impossible for us to fully comprehend what it would be like to have our understanding of God be completely removed from us. But again, notice here in verses 5 and 6, this first part of the disaster of Edom, because of their lack of understanding, is the plundering or the thievery, the robbery that's going to take place against them. Verse 5 says, If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? 
would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? This is really a, an illustrative picture of how God is removing understanding, how he's taking things away from them. There's a mention of thieves and robbers. Uh, oftentimes we make the mistake of saying thieves and robbers are the same. Really, they're different. The, 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 to illustrate this plundering or this, this robbing of Edom, there's two cases being presented here, but they all have the same end conclusion. There will be nothing left. So a thief, for example, are people who secretly steal the property of others. So a thief is primarily known by his secrecy. He or she takes something. Oftentimes, you don't realize it was even taken. You don't know when they took it. They snuck in at a pointed time that was fitting for them. You just discover that it's gone. When we talk about robbery, we're talking about something that, yes, they may come at similar times. They may come, but they have an a aspect of violence to them. In other words, to, have, to be robbed has the idea of violence being also included with it. Uh, thieves often will just take what they need. Robbers come in with the intent of taking and leaving nothing. The desire is, is that I leave you with nothing. Now, believe it or not, there is a code of conduct uh, among criminals. Criminals actually have a limit as to how far they will go. There are some that would never do anything more, and I'm, again, <laughs> they would never do anything more than thief from you. They would never violently take it from you. They, that's their code of conduct. They would say, listen, yes, I'll, I'll take something from you, but I would never harm you to take it. That's the limit that they have. But the robber has the idea that, listen, I will take anything necessary, including your life, to acquire whatever it is that I want. God is using both of these examples, and he's using this intentionally. He's using this to show but this is not just a matter of people coming in secretly and taking your things, but this is going to be a full robbery of this. That it is going to be such that nothing's going to be left. Now, the reason we know that is because of the mention of grape gatherers. Now, this is an interesting way of illustrating exactly what he's talking about. This is the actual boundary. With Edom, there has been no limit to their own depraved, act, depraved actions. In other words, Edom's taken any step necessary to harm God's people. And God, and remember I mentioned when we started this series, this, this book of Obadiah is, a, is kind of a picture of poetic justice. Again, it's not the perfect terminology, but it's like what you did to me, it's going to come back to you. It's you being now paid back for what you have done. But the limit here is given by the mention of the grape gatherers. Now, this is a reference to something we're not as familiar with in our day and age. Uh, it has to do with gleaning. A uh, grape gatherer is someone who would go out in, into the, the grape, uh, the vineyard, and would pull the grapes, and they would, they would pick those, and then they would be used to produce whatever was needed. But during that gathering process, there was a law that is actually mentioned in Leviticus 19 and also in Deuteronomy 24 about when, God's, when people gleaned the fields. Whatever field it was, they were always to leave something in case somebody who was needy could gather it. In other words, you would leave some of the grapes intentionally. You would leave some of the corn in the field. 
you would allow some of it to just lay there in case somebody who needed it came by. But notice the question is, would they not have stolen till they had enough? In other words, isn't the limit that they'll just take until they've had their fill? And then he uses the illustration of the grape gatherer. And he says, if the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? In other words, it would be common that nobody would be completely robbed of everything. Surely something would be left. And he references the grape gatherers. Those grape gatherers, he is now indicating that there's not even going to be any gleaning left. There's not going to be any grapes left. There's not going to be any corn from the field. This is a complete pillaging. This is a complete plundering. This is a complete disaster because Edom will have absolutely nothing. Now, when God's godless people glean the fields, okay, when godless people glean the fields in agricultural terms, most likely if they left anything over, it was by accident because they didn't see it. But godly people intentionally left some of the gleaning in order that someone else might pick it up. Does everybody see that? It's a really important picture here. Godless people, if they leave something behind, oftentimes it's just because they didn't get it for their own self-satisfaction, their own self-sustaining. They just missed it. But godly people did it intentionally. God is telling them through Obadiah's vision that there's not even going to be a leftover grape. Nothing is going to be left of Edom once God has poured out his judgment. Now notice verse 6, he deals now with the second aspect, and that's these hidden treasures. He says, how are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? The words or the phrase, the things there, in some of your translations, it might be in italics. Now that just means that the translators added those in to give us a greater understanding. So if we remove that, it would just be how are Esau searched out or how is Esau going to be searched out? The idea of searching means something hidden. When I go on a search, I'm going to look for something. I'm going to try to find and take possession of it. The things here is a reference to Edom's self-protection in their things, their wealth. Oftentimes, people hide things for what reason? To protect them. You put, them, you put your valuables away so that the thieves and the robbers can't get it. You hide those things. They are your hidden treasures. Those, those are your hidden values. However, notice what he says. He says, how are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? In other words, the enemies of Edom are, searching, are going to be searching all of the hidden corners for something that can be taken. In other words, when these overriding armies come in to do God's judgment, they are going to overturn every rock. They are going to overturn every residence. They are not going to leave anything, and they're even going to find your hidden treasures. They're going to find the thing that you think nobody can ever find. Remember, we ended last week by talking about the reality that there is no escape from God's eyes. There's nothing I'm hiding from God today. There's nothing I'm hiding in my own soul today that I'm hiding from God. 
If I'm having improper thoughts, I have improper motives, I have improper intentions, you're not hiding that from God today, nor am I. There is no hidden place. He also knows what the greatest treasure of your heart is today. He knows exactly what you treasure the most. And if that thing is treasured above Him, then we ought to expect that God will eventually search that out. He'll reveal it, and sometimes those things will be removed. But Edom will have everything that they consider valuable taken away. As I mentioned to you, this, the city of Petra, the capital of Edom, it was a, it was a warehouse of sorts. Uh, not our modern day warehouses that we think about today, but a warehouse of uh, merchandise that came from all over the place. It had been described by some uh, historians and some commentators as Syrian Arabian merchandise. I mean, whatever you can think of as a treasure in those days, Petra had it. It was hidden somewhere, oftentimes in that great rock city. And yet, they were hidden because of their value. The enemies would come and search for those hidden things. They knew they were there. They would search for it because the moment that Edom lost those riches... They were now completely powerless. It's not much different today than an individual or a family or an organization or a church that puts its value in financial security or puts its, its trust in that that says, as long as I have funds, I'm safe. Even their treasures will be cut off. Once their wealth is cut off, their power is cut off. Once their power is cut off, they have no ability to to defend themselves. Ultimately, they will be destroyed. Remember what Paul told Timothy in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 6.17, and I'm paraphrasing, he warned the rich not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Remember, he doesn't say there's anything wrong with money. He says the root of all evil is the love of money. It's to put my trust and my faith and my hope in that saying, if I have money, I'm good. And oftentimes it plays out in our society. Threaten a person loss of their money and they will get very, very defensive and they will do everything they can often to defend you taking that money. That's our normal reaction. Why? Because with a sense of loss, we do feel powerless, do we not? We feel as if I lose my financial well-being, what am I going to do? Edom, its wealth is going to be stripped away. So this is not far from what we learn New Testament-wise about the warning about putting our trust in treasures and in wealth. Treasures make us feel safe. Treasures make us feel independent. But at the very same time, operating in contrast is your fear of losing it. So we work and work and work to make sure we have it, and then we spend the rest of our life making sure we protect it and we never lose it because we associate safety and independence with that possession, right? Edom's going to lose all that. Edom's going to have that taken away from them. It's their treasures that are going to attract the robbers instead of deterring the robbers from going somewhere else. So the very fact that it's going to be known Edom has a lot of treasures in that rock city is going to be one of the reasons that now these other nations are going to come and overwhelm them. Wealth does not offer security, but uncertainty. It's one of the many things wrong with the prosperity gospel, folks. You all understand what I'm saying. That's what's wrong with it. 
You are falsely, heretically teaching people to trust in something that is fleeting and could lose its value. You understand this overnight. (laughs) However many zeros are in your net worth, you understand you can lose that overnight no matter how secure you think it is. You could have a stash of gold bars at your house. Overnight, it could lose its value. If my trust is in that, I'm putting it in the wrong thing. That's part of the whole of what Edom is having done to it. Now, here's where we start to see the lack of understanding being pulled away. And this is so clear because we see that God is even going to trap them by deceiving them into believing that people who were once allies with them are no longer allies with them. Look at verse 7. We see the deception. All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat, of the, eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. The word confederacy has the idea of allies or a group of people coming together in order to fight for a cause. Whether that cause is right or wrong, he doesn't say. He just simply says, the men that were your allies. There's nothing worse than thinking you have an ally in someone only to find out that they were deceiving you in order to be part of your destruction. These allies were people they could rely on at one time. Now, a a study of common U.S. American history will show us our allies have come and gone. Some have come back, some have never returned. Some we thought would always be shoulder to shoulder with the United States of America are now no longer shoulder to shoulder. We've had moments of time, blocks of time, 10, 15 years, where you could trust on an ally. We've had some for years and years and years. This would be like Edom. All of our reliable allies are actually deceiving us. Now, you think that can't happen now? You think that can't happen in our day and age? You think it can't happen in the church? You think it can't happen in society where somebody says they're with me? Deception is a very crazy thing. And that's not a theological word, but it's a crazy thing. Because it's the very deception is that which is closely resembled to the truth, except it's lacking in one or fewer characteristics. It sounds good. It feels good. But it's actually you're being tricked. You're being deceived into believing that there's safety now. So if Edom has all of its power and treasures taken, that's okay. We'll just turn to our allies and they'll help us. Well, notice what it says. That's where we get the phrase, there is none understanding in him. They think that they actually have an ally. And God says, you have none with you. You are completely and totally alone. Now, again, I I challenge us by thinking, what would it be like if we didn't have understanding? Let me add to that and say, what would it be like to be totally alone in this world without God? Imagine. You can't. Imagine to actually be a person who believes that God has nothing in this world. He has no sovereignty. He has no providence. He doesn't exist. Imagine how, how do you view the world events on the world stage without the sovereignty and the providence of God at the very heart of what you believe. And don't tell me, you. Uh, here's what I, you have nothing to focus on. 
You have nothing to say. This is my centering. This is where I go to to know how do I even have my bearings about me. Now imagine not having understanding, having no allies, and not having God. That's what Edom is experiencing. They're going to experience what it actually means to be completely and utterly alone. One of the greatest comforts of my life is knowing that even in the most difficult moments of my life, in the quietness of by myself, in a room by myself, I was never alone. Since the day he saved me, I've never been alone. He's always there. Sometimes he's there and he's reminding me of my failures through the Spirit. Other times it's just encouraging me as I was reading about David this morning. And David encouraging himself in the Lord. How can we encourage ourselves in the Lord? Because we have a knowledge of God. The greatest encouragement you folks are ever going to receive, and this is for all of you, whether you're members here or not, the greatest encouragement you're ever going to receive is from the Lord, not even from another individual, not even a pastor, not even a minister, not a missionary. The greatest encouragement you get is from God Himself. My encouragement may miss the mark. I may make the terrible mistake of saying, I understand when I don't. It's a ministerial thing to say, I understand. It shouldn't be because I don't always understand. I've not walked in those shoes, but I do know that God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're experiencing. Edom is deceived into believing that they actually have an ally. And he says, you don't have anything. Not even the allies that you once trusted in. They have been abandoned. There is now nothing or anyone who they can rely on. They are fully and completely all alone. Now, folks, that is, that is one of the terrifying, among many other things. Again, let me just step into the unpopular preaching of the day. That is one of the most terrifying things about hell. That is absolutely horrifying to consider. To be in a place where, sadly, there are millions of people that are going to be, but you are going to be 100% alone. There should be an urgency about what we think about. There should be an urgency about the need of the gospel to go out from from, from wherever we are. And not just from a church pulpit, but in our individual lives. You're equipped today to go out in order to give the gospel. What if we sit here for years and we don't see an unsaved person come in. That doesn't mean we still don't go out and proclaim the gospel. You proclaim the gospel in your workplace. Proclaim the gospel in your schools. But folks, we do that because we have a knowledge of God. Not because we're valuable of ourselves. God's not looking for a bunch of articulate people who know how to speak well. He's looking and giving people the opportunity to go out and preach what they know. Preach the God they know. And actually tell somebody, you know what? God's never left me alone. God's never, God's never forsaken me. He's never left me. Even when I tried to run away from God, He did not leave me. And I have this assurance I can try to run away from Him, but the Bible tells me that I am safe and secure in His hands. I'm thankful that He doesn't act like we do. <laughs> If he acted like us, 
we would want no part of God. Because we would say, how can I rely on you? You're never, God, you're never there when I need you. But you know what? Every time I've looked, he's actually there. Every time I've prayed, when I've prayed with repentance in my heart, and I've prayed with a true desire to be right with him, he's answered. Oh, I've had moments where I tried to pray with unrepented sin. It's a misery. Because you know you're asking God to do something when you're not willing to even deal with the sin in your life and say, oh God, I want to keep in my sin, but I don't want to be left alone. Hey, not losing our salvation, but that fellowship can be broken and that sweet communion can be broken. And for a child of God, you won't be able to stand that. You will not be able to stand having your fellowship broken with God because you are going to feel utterly alone. You can't make it in this world without God. You can't. Greatest deception of this world is to think that there's a whole lot of other things better than God. And you're watching a world do exactly that by replacing God with something that'll just leave them empty. That's it. And yet, here's Edom being deceived by the very same things that even this world is deceived by. Riches, safety, security, Yet, what's the expression? There's no understanding in him. Edom knows nothing of the evil that's coming. They know nothing of what they don't know what to expect. They don't know which direction to look. They don't know where to look up, look down, look east, look west, look north, look south. They don't know which way to go. They have no idea what's getting ready to happen. Now, there's a mention here that we'll talk about in a moment. But it says that the men that were at peace with thee, peace is a deceptive thing. Peace deceives us into thinking all is well. Peace, peace, as Jeremiah said, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Peace is not just a lack of conflict. Peace is not just a lack of gunfire and missiles and things being launched. Peace, true peace, is only peace that comes from God. Peace of God and peace with God. Man's greatest need is to be at peace with God, to be reconciled to God. I have a greater need of peace with God than I have a need of peace in the world. Because my reconciliation with God is what's going to matter eternally. Have I been reconciled to God, not God being reconciled to me? Modern Christianity is, God, here I am. Why don't you reconcile yourself, your standards, your thoughts, your righteousness to my righteousness, and then we'll have a deal. It's not the way God works. God is never reconciled to us. We are reconciled to God only through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's not impressed with our filthy rags. He's not impressed with anything we offer outside of the righteousness of Christ. But yet, here we have this great freedom to come boldly under the throne of grace. But we're only coming because we're coming on the merit of Christ. Edom has nowhere to go. They have no wisdom. We'll talk about this in a moment, but Edom was also known to have famous wise men. These wise men were known in many circles around the world for their wisdom, how they were able to be counseled with, and the leaders of Edom would seek their advice, seek their counsel. They couldn't even rely on that anymore because their so-called friends were actually in on part of the deception. 
Imagine seeing all of your calculations, all of your expectations fail. You know, I'm giving you a lot of application this morning. It's just the way God's leading today. But think about this. Think about all the things you've calculated and expected. How did most of those turn out? I mean, you were so sure everything was going to work out in this perfect little plan, this perfect little box. You had your life planned out. You've got, you know this, you know this, you know where you're going, and you know what God's doing, and you've, you're just confident. You know. And then you find out, wait a minute, this wasn't God's moving. This was me moving and calculating and expecting, only to find out that's not where it was supposed to be. We're calculators. Everything we do, we're choosing with a preferred end in mind. <laughs> That's why we choose what we choose. We have an ending that we're, this is our goal. And I'm calculating, how do I get myself from this point to my goal? The problem is we often, we don't seek counsel, godly counsel. We seek counsel from people who give us what we want to hear. I can't tell you how many people are, who are Christ, who are Christians, who say, I said, where do you get the counseling from? They went and sought counseling from a non-believer. And you, I'm not being disrespectful, but you would think this would be an obvious thing. If part of your calculations also includes, I'm going to get counsel from a non-believer, you're kind of already setting yourself on the wrong direction. Why? Because a non-believer doesn't have the same goal you're going to have. Ultimately, folks, we've got to get to the idea of what the Apostle Paul said. We are, we are citizens of another world. We are just pilgrims passing through. Short-sightedness. We talked about this when we started today. Short-sightedness is not the godly way. We're not looking for what just happens today. We're looking for the will of God every single moment of our life. So as we take each step in obedience, God continues to reveal his plan for us. Edom has no understanding of anything I, I, don't even, I don't even know where they would be. They won't even be able to see the traps that their used to be friends are planting for them. Their wise counselors will no longer be able to counsel them. Their allies turned out to be unfaithful. Their friends turned out to be unfaithful. Edom is receiving a legitimate retribution for the treatment of his brother Jacob. Remember, there's a connection between Jacob and Esau. Israel, Jacob. Now, the misfortune that Edom is finding itself in can only be attributed to one person, themselves. It's an amazing thing. People fall under the judgment of God, and the first thing they do is they blame God for being so cruel, yet there was no desire for obedience to Him. I realize, we all realize, that if God doesn't open our eyes to the gospel, we don't understand it. It took a lot of years for me to get to that conclusion biblically. I've mentioned that to you folks. There was a point in my life that I thought I opened my own eyes and I thought I raised myself from the dead. I truly believed it. Not physically raising from dead, but I believe spiritually at any moment I can turn the switch and I'll, I'll just wholeheartedly jump both feet in to this gospel thing. The problem is, I didn't fully understand it. 
I understood a concept that sounded appealing to the heart. It sounded appealing to the emotions. Claiming salvation without any understanding of the righteousness of God and the requirements of what is required? Why does God even choose to save anyone? It's all part of this conversion. It's all part of this redemption. And again, the answer is He doesn't just save you to keep you out of hell. That's not the gospel biblical answer. For some reason, completely un completely ununderstandable to us, He has chosen people for His own glory. (laughs) I don't get it. I still don't get it. Because I look at me and I say, how in the world does this old raggedy flesh bring any glory to God, knowing what goes on in here and goes on in here? (laughs) I could sit here and try to give you some seminary answer, but it's not going to impress you. Not if you truly know what's required because you're going to say, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. And yet, that understanding is the very thing that helps us when we can even worship together. We sing with understanding. We pray with understanding. When a man or a man stands up and prays or preaches and, and we sing hymns together, we're singing with understanding. When we sing about the sovereignty of God, we're saying, yes, not I don't believe in sovereignty. Which there are believers who don't claim to believe in sovereignty. That's for another day. But understand, Edom doesn't have anything. Application-wise, Edom is plunged into this complete disaster, loses even their usual understanding. I can talk about spiritual understanding, but let's talk now about not only do you lose your spiritual understanding, but you lose your practical understanding. We don't quite think about that in the equation, do we? Think about the things of the world you understand, how things are supposed to work. Imagine having that taken away from you now. Now you don't even know how to practically understand. This is, folks, that's why I gave the illustration of thieves and robbers. This is a total plundering. This is not leaving a single grape. This is Edom having everything removed. They'll lose all sense of spiritual righteousness. They'll lose all sense of the path to God. And they lose all sense of the path even of this world. And then notice verses 8 and 9 tell us about this is all on the initiative of God. Remember that knowledge of God that we don't fully always understand. We say, why do things happen? Or people make the mistake and often say, I want to give you comfort today. What happened to you had nothing to do with God? Can I just tell you that's terrible counsel? Now I know, emotionally speaking, emotionally, humanly speaking, when we see something, the first thing we want to say is God has nothing to do with this. But if God is sovereign and God is providential, God's hand has to be in it. But what happens here, he says, Shall I not say in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? Notice it's the Lord saying this. Shall I not in that day destroy the wise men out of Eden? 
God says, Edom is under my destruction. To be under the wrath of God is a most terrifying thought. If I had to stand here today in this world knowing that God's wrath was still upon me, there, there is no hope. Paul himself said there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. To not be under condemnation means I'm no longer under the wrath of God in that eternal separation, that eternal plundering where I'm left with nothing. When every single wise person who thought, I know better than God, and folks, again, I'm not against education, but we're getting so intellectual. We are getting so smart. Well, we think we are. That we now have people who think, I know better than God. And God says, there is no understanding in you but what I give to you. All those books on your shelf and all those certificates and all those diplomas that you think are what makes you wise and successful in this world, they're all under my hand. Folks, if we have any knowledge of God today, remember the knowledge of knowing what it is to no longer be under the wrath of God. To know that God says, I'm going to destroy the wise men. He declares this. And this really introduces us to the next section, which we'll deal with next week. But this starts to bring us to this conclusion where God begins to speak specifically of the destruction of Edom that hangs over the people. He himself takes ownership of this destruction. Folks, we can say and we can talk and we can pray and pray and preach and proclaim the love of God. But if you want a true full picture of who God is, you cannot leave out the wrath of God. You cannot just say God is a God of only love. It's his part of his wrath that proves his love. It's all intertwined. It, it burdens me to know that there are people that gather today and will never really even hear about the truth of who God really is. Because somewhere along the line, it became, hey, we just want you to have a really, just a really feel-good message so you walk out the door and you can feel good about this week. Listen, I don't know what else you need to rejoice than knowing that if you're a child of God, that the wrath of God has been removed from you and the price has been paid fully by Jesus Christ. He didn't just make salvation possible. He actually accomplished it and saved you. (laughs) How much greater news do you need? But if you walk out and you say, listen, I heard all this about salvation and all those things, but you know what? I, I know better than God. God's keeping something from me. God's preventing something. No, God says that there is a time when judgment will be that day. Notice he says, shall I not in that day? That reference, that day, is a reference. doesn't say it, but that's a reference to a judgment day. It doesn't preach popular today in the modern church. It just doesn't. We don't talk about judgment anymore. We don't talk about the wrath of God. We don't talk about the blood. We don't talk about sin. We just talk about Hey, here's how we're going to give you a good week. If you want to add a couple zeros to your bank account, I would laugh if it's not so terribly burdensome. But yet, the Edomites, you can read a little bit about this in Amos and Habakkuk. 
There's a reference made to a particular tribe of Temanites. That's who's mentioned there in verse 9. The Temanites were the group, the tribe that was known specifically for their wise men. But God says even the wise men will be destroyed. Their wisdom would not even bring them salvation. The wisdom leaves them in the face of allies and friends. Here the wise men themselves are destroyed by the Lord himself. Step by step, Edom is being deceived and deprived of every resource they believe gives them safety. I'm not a prophet, nor do I believe there's a need for any prophets, what I'm going to say, but I'm just telling you to think that, that doesn't, God doesn't do that today where he just slowly is depriving and taking away little by little in order to completely at one point remove all understanding. And there's a day coming when there won't be a chance for understanding anymore. How many people have bought that lie that just said, you know what, I'll just wait and see how it all ends. And then if this God thing really worked out, then I'll believe. You won't have a desire to believe because you'll be deceived into believing that there is no God. You'll actually get what you so desired, which was, I hope there's not a God. An atheist is actually going to get their dream. They're going to be left, I, just, I want to believe there's no God. Ultimately, they won't believe there's a God and there will be no understanding in them. They can't rely on their strategic rock city. They can't rely on riches. They can't rely on friends. They can't rely on their wise men. They can't rely on their allies. And they sure can't rely on their own understanding. Verse 9 gives us a preview for next week and then we're done. He talks about the mighty men shall be dismayed that the, to the end that every one of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Folks, that's a total extermination. That's a total removal. Once Edom's wisdom is taken away, once their treasures are taken away, they don't have any strength. Once wisdom and understanding are gone, all the courage that the people once had is now gone. Now you know what replaces courage? Nothing but fear. They won't even be able to defend themselves. Folks, how many things in this life do we take for granted because we find, we think there's safety or security in something else? Every day we get up and we just assume. We just assume everything's going to be just like it was yesterday. I have all the same protections. I have all the same guidance. Everything's there. But what if? What if God, piece by piece, just takes things away and we don't have those things any longer? Praise the Lord, we can't lose our salvation. But do you know, we can get deceived into even as believers to start relying too heavily on some of these same things. Start making choices based upon what makes us feel safe. The most powerful people, even in this world, aren't going to benefit us if God's not for us. If God be for us, who can be against us, right? This is a living proof of exactly those verses. If God is for you, who can be? Not even the Edomites can. But if God is against you, who can be for you? There's nobody left. 
There's absolutely nobody left. Folks, for us, God is our everything. God is sovereign and He's providential. Even the devil himself cannot take a single step farther than what God allows him to take. Don't live as if you are bound to Satan. Okay? God has him on his sovereign leash. Pardon that expression, but he's, he has him under control. No matter what the world tells you, God is still in control. Let's pray together. Father, you've challenged even my own heart today as I'm standing here thinking about the own deception of my heart that can sometimes sneak in without even me even knowing it. Beginning to put safety and security in things that cannot save, cannot keep. Lord, we read accounts such as this and we read what's going to, what had happened to Edom and we're brought to all, we're brought to humility. Realizing the power of the God that we know and the God that we serve. But Lord, we thank you today for the understanding that we do have. We thank you, Lord, that our eyes are open to the truth of the gospel and our own depravity, our own sin, our corruption. And that our ears were open to be able to hear and to receive and to believe the gospel, to repent of our sins. Lord, help us never to take our own understanding for granted. Lord, to never be deceived into thinking it's our own study and it's our own intellectual standing. Lord, we know that apart from you and the power of the Spirit, none of us would have understanding at all. Lord, may we live a life that pleases you, not to please ourselves, but to please you and to glorify you, even though we can't be sinless. And somehow, some way, we live for your glory. But Lord, may this not just be a rallying cry, but may it be a call to humbly walk as you've called us to walk. Lord, that this is not just some book of suggestions, but that your word calls your people to walk in truth and to walk in love. Father, we pray that you would guide every aspect of the remainder of our meeting today. And Lord, may Christ truly be glorified in us. And if it be your will today that someone would be brought to repentance and belief in Christ Jesus alone, that we may be able to rejoice with them. We thank you for all these things. And it's in Christ's name and his sake I do pray. Amen. All right. Thank you.